Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. You get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community. My name is Chris Frizzell. Some of y'all might know me as Frizzo, DJ Frizzo, Frizzo and Metal Metal. And I'm here with a great person, Blue Shendo. Blue, introduce yourself. Uh, hello, everybody. I think for the most part, uh, a lot of people know me. <coughs> Those that do know me know me by Blue. Uh, my real name is actually Brian. Um, I go, go by Blue for the most part. Um, Shendo is my last name. And I don't have any... I don't have any cool names like uh, DJ Frizzo. Blue's a cool name, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. All right, so I think Blue's a good name. We uh, we came together. We collaborated. Um, we're as you probably know by now. You're listening to a podcast. Um, we decided to to create a, a podcast. The first one for the reservation. Uh, I don't think there there are any around Mescalero right now, or um, even. Even any of the local areas, I don't know if you know of any, but um, we just uh, this is the first I've heard too. Yeah, I mean, and we're just trying to come along with this like real organically. This was just a, a we sparked this up spare. What do you call it? It's in the moment type thing. Spur spur of the moment. Spur of the moment. Yeah, yeah. We're having a conversation at EDR one day, and so both of us were interested in, and we just came together organically. So this is gonna be something good. I think so, and I was um. You kind of caught <laughs> you caught my bluff. I was sitting there eating eating lunch, and I I was telling you that I wanted to start a podcast, and and you were like, "Well, let's do it." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh man, we're gonna have to do this because I'm not gonna I'm not the type of person to say I'm just gonna do something and not do it." And you just called me on the spot. You're like, "Well, let's do it. Let's let's get one going." And so here we are. Yeah. We're, uh, we're we're starting a podcast, but I guess uh, we can we can get into real quick. Um, why why this podcast and what and what it's about uh, the for for me in in my eyes when i when i look at a podcast or when i think about a podcast uh i think we need to try to s- stick with a positive creating a, a positive environment uh, i would like to create a, a healthy platform for people to share their positivity with society yeah. uh, that's that's the biggest thing uh, i'd also like to give a chance for some of the unique stories out there from back home um, mm-hmm. to be heard and if anything inspire our community yeah and you know we need to help some of the stories of today continue to be heard in the future because there's a lot of people that i've seen um, pass away and they took some great knowledge and some great stories with them Definitely. and it's it's real real sad and you know, if you don't know the family directly, you're never going to know the, some of the things they had to say. And so I think by, by creating this, this type of um, this platform for people to share their uh, their story with, um, we can definitely preserve some of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, some, of the, some of those things that people have seen that they're probably just going to pass away with and take to the grave. So yeah. um, I'd like to keep a lot of our um, a lot of our unique personalities alive through this podcast as well 
And, and also, you know, there's some people out there that I've seen personally um, that have done great with their lives. They're, they're living a quiet life. Uh, they're going to school or they're working hard and they, they've, got a, they've got a real, like a Cinderella story. And, and I think some of those stories, you know, people our age, you know, um, people in their, in their 20s, even, even teenagers, it can be young, younger people as well. But I'd like to, to bring them on the podcast and, and just discuss uh, what they're doing right, uh, what got them to that point. Mm-hmm. And the more people that we put on into um, a podcast like this, the more chances that they, they can inspire other people to do great things. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so what's your story? I know you're from Mescalero. I mean, we both grew up in Mescalero. Um, what year did you graduate? I, I graduated from Mescalero High School in 2008. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's a long time ago now yeah. that I think about it. it. It seems like it was just yesterday, but right. yeah, I, gra- I graduated in 2008 um, with and- a class of 12. Like I was telling you at dinner earlier, I had a lot of questions about the military because that that fascinates me. Somebody go go to the military. Um, well, so you went to the military like right after you graduate? No, I uh, oh. <clears throat> had some had some jobs, and one of the best one of the best places I ever worked was was down at the DRMP Mescalero. Oh yeah, made some great friends down there. Uh-huh. Worked 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 a chainsaw. I lied on my. Um, my resume, if any of you are listening out there that hired me, <laughs> I lied and I said I knew how to operate a chainsaw. <clears throat> um, and my first squad boss, uh, Jackie Blaylock? Jackie, I just know his name is Jack. Jackie Blaylock works in maintenance, I think. Does it? Yeah, in uh, the end. Maybe I'm thinking of, I just know his name's Jack. It's yeah. been so long ago. Well, Jack took me in. I was in his squad and up. Uh, he was like, do you know how to work a chainsaw? And I was like, yeah, 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 I, I know what I'm doing. And I, I, get, I barely knew how to start the thing, got it going. And that was like the extent of my knowledge. I could uh, turn it on and I could make a tree fall down. <laughs> but with the I worked there. <laughs> and uh, after a year and a half to two years there, uh, I saw Jacob Glossop. He came into town mm-hmm. and he showed me his cell phone. He showed me all these... Um, he showed me all these pictures that he had in his cell phone. And a couple of them were him sitting in on what's called a key leader engagement. So he's sitting in, a, he's sitting in this picture in, a, in Iraq. Uh-huh. And he's sitting between all these Afghans. He's wearing his, his, his bulletproof vest. He's got his, his, um, his clips, his magazines. He's got all this stuff on it. He looks so cool. And I, he came into town and he, he was showing me these pictures. And I, I was blown away. Yeah. I was like, I, I have to do that. What do you do? And he was like, I'm in the infantry, but I'm an officer. I went to college. And so I command people, really. And I was like, that's amazing. I need to go do that. And so... How old were you at that point? I think I was about 19 or 20. Uh-huh. Uh, I went home that night. And I told uh, Alej, we were just dating at the time. Uh-huh. But we had we had our son, Logan. And I told... I, as soon as I walked in the room, I was like, I'm joining the Army. And she was like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the Army. And she was like, okay. And I think the very next day, we drove to the sign. We drove here to Cruces. We drove to the um, recruiting, recruiting office, yeah. got signed up right on the spot. Wow. And I told him, I was like, whatever infantry, I, I need to be there. That's what I want to do. Uh-huh. And I signed up. So, one thing that, how was boot camp? You got to talk a little bit about that because. The hardest thing that I can imagine to that is two days of football. That was like one of the hardest things. But I bet boot camps like 
don't know how many times harder than that. So it's, how, how was that? It's hard in a different in a different sense. Like yeah. you know, I I've been to to football camp and it is hard. Yeah. You're young, your body's not used to moving that way, and and you know you can beat up all day. It, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, you go into your bunks at night. You sleep in a bunk. You got you got buddies that you become close with, and you kind of got the idea, but. Does football, people that play football, does that kind of get them um, prepared just a little bit for the military? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. So the guys that were used to going to like the events, like football and and um, and putting their bodies through difficult situations like that, yeah. we all excelled. We did great. But there's guys in there who, who had never tested themselves or pushed themselves before. They, they joined because maybe the same reason I joined, you know, they saw a picture of somebody that looked cool and they're like, ooh, I want to do that. Uh-huh. I had no idea what they're getting into. They signed their life away and now they're there. Yeah. And those are the first ones that break. Um, it's a lot of people that joined the military and did well, they'll tell you, nah, boot camp's nothing. Like everyone has like this, t- this tough guy persona, right? Uh-huh. And I'm not that way. I'm very observant for all the hard times I go through. I want to remember it. I want to embrace it and learn everything about that situation so I become stronger. Yeah. And when I went to boot camp, I remember being observant of everything. I might have been a little too observant. I was freaking out about the paint color on the bricks of the buildings we were staying in. I was like, I was, uh, I was staring at the ground. I was looking at every crack in the ground on my way, my way to the chow hall. I was looking at all the people that work there. I was just, I was, you're just shocked. Your environment is so. What was it about the color of the? The color of the paint. It's because the... Um, well, what color was it? So everything there is real gray and gloomy. Well, the season I went, everything uh, was kind of rainy. It was real uh, gray all the time. And then it just had like a, a worn out, like red paint on the bricks. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I wonder how much, how many soldiers that paint has seen uh, run through here. I just get these weird observing thoughts, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember walking, I remember the smells of walking through that place the very so when you leave it's hard because you know you're everyone's tough when until it's time to leave and i'm a huge baby and i'll cry over over a sad movie i'll cry at all oh, you seem you should see me at a funeral man i'll bawl my eyes out for if i barely knew you yeah but um so when i'm leaving the airport in el paso and i have to say goodbye to my son oh. did that that was how old was your son at the time he maybe? was two. Oh wow i'm bad with dates and ages but I, I believe he was about one or one or two. Yeah. But so I have to leave him there at the airport, and it's this sad scene, like like in the in the movies when the, when the soldiers leaving, saying goodbye to his family. Mm-hmm. That was me. I'm I'm standing there sobbing. To um, she was my girl. We just got married. We got married so I could take her with me uh-huh. um, in the, into the military. But my my new I left my new wife and my son there at the airport, and I had to get very dramatic dramatically get on this plane and fly away from my family. And I was crying like a baby. Uh, this is the first time I left home. Like every, it was it was so surreal that I was leaving. I couldn't, um, e- I couldn't imagine having to go through that type of like pain again, you know. Yeah. But once I went through it one time, it was like I, I kind of hardened up a little bit, and I got used to leaving again. Yeah. So it wasn't so bad anymore after. But the very very first time I had to leave home, that that was kind of brutal. Yeah. I just leaving my kid behind and, and my new my new wife at the time and. And this is the Marines or the Army? Army. Army, okay. Yeah. And um, so I get on this plane and you show up and you, you start kind of like following these signs. They have signs set up. You, yeah. you, they, they know what they're getting. They, they know how to direct you there. So they herd you in to this little area at the airport. I landed in, um, I believe it was Georgia or 
did I land in Atlanta, Georgia? I can't remember. Anyway, so I hit this airport and then um, you kind of get like pushed. You kind of get funneled into one little weird little hallway mm-hmm. and, and there's a guy waiting there with a clipboard and you can tell this is who you're looking for. You know, you walk in and this guy with this clipboard's like just checking off people and you're sitting there looking at all these strangers. Everyone's scared. Everyone has the same look like they've been crying all day. Uh-huh. And they when they when they realize that they have everybody, they, they check everyone's names off the list. They get you on this bus and then they drive away. And that was another thing that got me. I was okay uh, on the plane. I was okay when I landed. I was okay looking for my, my group or whatever. Yeah. But once I got on that bus, it felt like that was it. Wow. Like for some reason, the bus did it for me again. And I got real scared on the way out there. And here I am like this, this dude who thinks he's like all that at the, at that age, I, I thought I was like a real tough dude. Uh-huh. Um, you know, coming from the reservation, I was good at sports. So I had that behind me. Um, I was in the weights a little bit. But this this type of environment like just broke me down. Was there anybody else that you knew at the time when you went? No, it was, it was, was just it, it was just me. I was just a stranger. Um, Is it true that like as soon as you get there, the general or whoever will try to break you down and start just yelling at you right off the bat? Well, when that's what everyone told me that was going to happen. And when I got there, this guy kind of looked like real fed up with his day already. He kind of uh, gets on the bus. He's like, "All right, guys, get off the bus." Like yeah. he, like he'd been through it before and he yeah. was just out of energy for it. Yeah. And we all get off the bus and, and they do, they, they start yelling at you kind of like, but they're not yelling. Like, drop down, give me 10, like off the bat. Like, it's like not. you see in the movies? No. No. And that, here's the thing. Um, what you see, what you see in like the Hollywood side of things for the military, uh, you just see all the intense moments. But with, when you actually join the military, there's a lot of, what would you, how'd you say? Like uh, admin stuff you got to take oh, care of. Yeah. Because when you first get there, you got to see who you got. You got to see who's going to which barracks. You got to see who's, you know. So you got to divide up all these soldiers and get them in the right places. And, and they're yelling at you, but it's more just to make things function properly, right? You get to this place. Yeah. It's called 30th AG. And it's your in-processing unit. Uh-huh. So you're not really being, like, yelled at or anything yet. You're not You're not in trouble whenever, you know, they're not making you do push-ups. You're, they're um, more just trying to get you in process. Yeah, and when you're done with it, when you're done with all of that, that's when you go to the real basic training. So it's kind of building up the entire time you're there. I think it took us like a week to actually in process. Yeah, and it was um, it was real boring. I remember sitting in this um one room, watching sitting on the floor, just watching movies all day. As it got closer, because I guess we were we were almost done in processing, and they're like, "All right, guys, so in about two days." Um, we're going to, we're going to send you over to basic training. You all, you all been in processed, but it's going to be real boring until then. And we sat there watching movies on the floor, old war movies and uh, stuff like that. But as time's getting closer, it's kind of building up on you. You're kind of getting nervous. You're like, Oh man, it's about, it's about to get real. You know, Yeah. you know, you just got your haircut. Everybody's bald. We all look weird. Do you have to be bald or, you, or faded or what? You have to be bald. You have to be bald. Mm-hmm. Wow. As soon as you, as soon as they in process you, one of the first things they do is they they'll um. That day they fed me through this line right, and so, it's like a it's a medical line. Uh-huh. You're just standing there waiting until you get to the front. And when you get to the front, they have all these needles ready. It's like a bunch of like nurses or something. Yeah. You 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 step up and you have to step on the tape. They stick you with two shots, like in both butt cheeks. Oh, wow. And then you step forward to the next tape. They give you a shot in both arms. 
you take a step to the next tape, they give you one more shot in the butt, and then you go to the next tape, and they give you, like, one more shot in there. I don't remember, man. I just remember getting stuck <laughs> over and over by all these needles, and uh, I was real sore. Then they take, they pick you up, and they, I don't know if it was the same day. I think it was the same day. They took me to another room. They have this big barber shop, and they sit you down. Dude, they have the fastest shears, man. They'll, they'll oh. shave your head in, like, 10 seconds. Like, <laughs> Was there any other Native Americans? Did I, you know, or I was the only, you were one. The only one. Yeah. How, how did it feel of being being that like the only Native American? And I got another question too, but it okay. So we'll get through basic training, but um, it it didn't really play an effect in like in my career or anything until I actually got to my unit. Uh-huh. But um, in basic training, everyone just you know thought I had a cool last name. My last name, you know, Shindo. Yeah. And so they're oh man, that name's cool. And then right off the bat. What I had going for me was everyone just liked me in, yeah. in my in my platoon. But anyway, so you get in processed. They they get you on those bus, and then these guys are like, okay, now now this these these little fun games are over. You guys are really about to get into it, so be ready. Like you guys are getting into basic training. Okay, yeah. they prep you up, man, and you're just sitting on this bus. You're like, oh crap, man. I wonder what it's gonna be like. And the whole time, man, there's a, there's a guy at the front just smiling. He's like, oh, you guys are about to get it, and. He had been there for years? He, yeah, he was probably working there for a little while, so he knows. What's his title? Or, or what, what's your title when you go in? Just a soldier? or Just just private, man. Oh, you, really? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They didn't... I don't know what they what they call you, but... Yeah. Um, when I got to... So they dropped, they dropped me off of this big football field, this li- big football-looking field, right? Uh-huh. And they have it all set up like this. As soon as, as, soon as you park... You're one of your real drill sergeants gets on the bus and just starts yelling at you, riling you up, getting you in there. Sure, it works. We all get scared and we yeah. panics and they just start yelling at you to run. So the bus purposely parked far so we could be yelled at to be running across this field. We ran up this road like we ran like a mile to yeah. our actual barracks and the whole time there's guys yelling at us. And they're shooting cannons off. They have cannons in this field ready to go. And they're shooting these cannons and making noise. And they're trying to get you as distressed as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so they, they point you up to the barracks and you, you make it up there and you're tired and you're sweating. They have all your bags and they could probably just lay them out nice for you to find. But they're, they're still messing with you. So they're standing in the back of this truck just throwing all the bags off. They're, yeah. they're chucking them off this truck. And you have to go find your bag. And so you're scared looking for your bag. People are, are panicking. This is the first time you've been in this situation. So other guys are knocking you over to go find their bag. They don't want to be the last one to be looking for their bag. Yeah. yeah so they, they play games with you like that on your first day. You find your bag and you have to dump out your stuff. And you get assigned to your platoon and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's just a lot of games, man. They get yeah. you. They get you on edge. Do people quit at that point? Is anybody that says I'm going home? I don't want to do. Did you feel like that at one moment? Anyway? I I didn't. I kind of felt like I was there and I had to finish. Yeah. But I remember seeing people break down. People yeah. people crying. People just like they they do want to go home. They realize they made a mistake. Yeah. And um, I as as scared as I was, I never thought about about quitting. I I think um the shame of quitting would probably been worse for me. Coming back to Mescalero, I'm being like, yeah, I just, day one, I just quit. I couldn't do it, you uh, know? Yeah. So I uh, I was, uh, and also I've always been real driven, like with anything I've ever done. Uh, and so in my in my mind, I felt like I was going to make it to the end and I was going to be fine. Yeah. And I had to trust that. 
but you know during those during those moments you get real real scared you get yelled at and stuff um there and there's people out there who you just can't face there's there's guys out there you, you can't get under their skin you can't get in their head and I, i've never been one of those guys i've always cared about um doing the right thing like you know whether it's getting in trouble at school or at work i've, I've always tried to do the right thing you know yeah and so uh i tried to do i tried to listen do what i was told but yeah, you so you get assigned to your barracks, and then they take you up, and and they they do um, make your life live in hell in those first few weeks. It's called the red phase, uh-huh. and any anytime you mess up, man, they you know you, they're yelling at you, they're calling you names. I I remember being blown away by uh, the creativity of the names that they would call you. <laughs> like, yeah, I like probably, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure of what our, how how our audience is going to be or who it's going to be. Uh-huh. So I'll try to limit it, but um, some of them like right. What was one of the wor- the weird ones? So, one guy used to just call me just penis. Oh, really? And I thought that was weird. Like, uh, you know, I come from... He, the, what was he? Was he like a the general or... I, he was our... Um, was he in charge? Or yeah, something? he was yeah. in charge of our company. Uh, he was our, our company he, first sergeant. And he would just be like, penis, get over here. Yeah, <laughs> it is weird. So, you get a lot, you hear a lot of names like that, that you yeah. kind of like, oh, shoot, that's a good one. And you kind of laugh about it. But uh, anyway... Uh, once you once you make it through those first few weeks, you kind of you kind of start going on downhill, uh-huh. but also the training's picking up. Um, the training's getting harder. You're having to carry this bag that you're not used to carrying for miles. Um, they teach you about your gun. They teach you about gun safety. They teach you about what it's like to go to a range. So they they teach you how to shoot your gun. Uh-huh. All the things you see in the movie, like yeah. that's that's whenever the movie's like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. And stuff. That's that's where you're seeing all of that stuff. And is there any hazing? Did they? Ra- I remember the scene where they wrapped up the soap and started hitting the dude while he was in his bunk. They, <laughs> Anything it, like that or no? It happens, man. Yeah. Um, and it's it shouldn't. I think it's getting a lot better now. They're yeah. cracking down on it a lot more. Uh-huh. But it, it happens, man. There's a, there's people in there that I know they they just couldn't stand each other uh-huh. and they go to the back and duke it out. Yeah. before the drill sergeants get back you know wow. and sometimes the drill sergeant depending on who you get they just kind of look the other way they they know you know we're a bunch of guys penned up uh-huh. so they it was a strange what another another strange thing that i had to get used to was chow uh-huh. when it's time to eat because you only eat uh, it is three times a day i don't remember eating that much but i remember going to breakfast and going to dinner and whenever you go you have to be a certain way in the chow line. You have to stand, you know, at parade rest with your hands behind your back. You have to look straight. You can't look, you know, to the sides. They, they're really watching you when you go to chow. Yeah. You get your food as soon as you sit down. You have to be shoveling food into your mouth as fast as possible. And this could be different. How, how long did it give you to eat? There was times when I felt like I didn't even have a minute. Wow. There's so it could it could be different for other people that have gone through. But I remember watching like some of my friends like for breakfast. You you don't want to choose foods that are hard to chew, you know, because it's gonna take time. <laughs> so you would get like they would get their bagels, and they would be with one hand, they would be dipping it into their Powerade so it can get soggy. Yeah. And then with the other hand, they were shoveling food. Like you see people degraded at Chow. Like you don't even look at them because you're like kind of grossed out by how everyone's eating. You're like a bunch of starving dogs just trying to get food in your mouth. And uh, right when you sit down, you can see the rows being lifted. And when the rows are being lifted, we would have this chow hall set up where all the tables were in, in, in rows. Mm-hmm. And row one was closest to the wall. 
and then you know row 15 or whatever was closest to the doors so row one you're you're done stand up and chug your liquids so you yeah. stand up by your table and you chug all your liquids until they're all gone the drill sergeant inspects your cups everyone has to drink their cups there was um so i don't know if this is true but there was word going around in my platoon and i don't know if like other people have heard this but there was word going around saying that they were putting uh some type of like medicine or some something in, in the in the drinks to prevent guys from wanting to you know we're young we're, we're full of testosterone i'll oh, call it that yeah. way and i was i was starting to think about it and i was like you know what maybe it's true because you know i'm 20 years old at the time uh-huh. and i did not feel any desire like <laughs> i didn't even think about women that wow. entire time and it could have been true uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't prove it. But they're, they're putting something in the water to make you feel like that. The Powerade. Yeah, that was the thing. Oh, yeah, man. I don't. I don't like. I said I can't prove that. I don't know if it's true or not. But everyone's like, you know why they get you to drink all the liquids, right? And I'm like, no. Why do they want you to drink the liquids? You know, some of these guys I don't want to talk to, especially the conspiracy theorists. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, man, they're they're putting stuff in the Powerade, man. And you're <laughs> like, okay, all right. Do they restrict you from like your phone calls when you get to call home or business? Yeah. Um, when I got in and it's, and it probably gets like this every time, but they're like, yeah, it's going to get harder for you or it's going to get easier for you guys to make more phone calls because more, more families are concerned about how their kids are doing. Yeah. But in my day, like it's always harder, like for whoever's running the show. In my day, we couldn't get any phone calls until we're done. So for you guys, you're only going to get like, Three phone calls the whole time. You know, they, they try to scare and you. And how long was the call? Oh, man, it sucks. The first phone call I ever got was two minutes. I think it was two minutes. Yeah. I remember calling. I remember calling, checking my kid. Hey, how's the kid doing? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, this shit sucks. All right, love you. See you, bye. Hang up the phone. Yeah. Put it in your bag. Get information. And this is one of the things they test you on. Uh-huh. So they give you like they give you a little bit of rope. And it's always, they, they've been doing this a while. They give you just enough to hang yourself, you know? Uh-huh. And so... You know, all right, guys, I'm going to give you this phone call. You've been on good behavior. Um, so you're going to get about two minutes. But you need to be back in formation at that timer. If you're not in formation, like, you better just not even come back. You formation better, is what we're standing, like, so... Uh, yeah, your little, your, your little 15 by 20 or your 10 by 20 formation of guys, your square, your rectangle of guys, you know. And you all have, you have a specific spot every day. You don't, you don't change. Yeah. So when you're standing there, you got to be standing at that position, that prayer rest. I was telling you about, you, know, you have your, your hands behind your back and stuff. But you get these phone calls and they give them to you in short little increments like that. And they always they always told us, though, there was a guy that was running our show. He was saying, every time I get phone calls, you guys mess up. He said, you've been doing good and I don't want to mess you up. So I don't want to give you your phone call, but let's see what happens. And sure enough, we get the phone call. And I remember the next day, we just messed up bad. Like, you know, I think it's because... Maybe you call home and you kind of get weak for a moment and yeah. then you start getting mad about being there and just you get lonely, like lonely, homesick. Yeah, you get homesick bad. What um, I remember when I heard a Gabe Aguilar speech the other day at the inauguration, he said something that kind of kind of tripped me out. He said, uh, I remember getting letters because he was in the Marines. He said, I remember getting letters from people, from tribal members, and I would read them a hundred times because I was so lonely. So I would read magazines a hundred times because there's nothing else to do sometimes. That's how lonely so. Yeah, I, I learned how to cope real real quick. At first, though, man, I'm, I'll tell you what, that, that was hard. Yeah, I would never want to feel that way again. I don't think I can feel that way again. I think I've grown past it. Yeah. But it, it sucked, man. It was hard to leave the reservation like that and be gone in that environment, being yelled at, 
people putting their hands on me, grab yanking me up, and uh, it was insane, dude. It was it was a weird it was a weird place for me. Uh, I was uncomfortable the entire time. As time went on, I learned how to cope a little bit better. Uh, but like I like I was saying, though, what I did have going for me is that most people liked me. Yeah, uh, I remember at on our last day we we made it we made it through basic training and everyone was happy. I think we only lost like two people. Excuse me. Out of that entire time we were there, and one guy broke his leg, but um, we only had one guy quit. I think. Uh-huh. But anyway, so we make it to the end, and we're having this ceremony, and the drill sergeant tells us he's like, "We're gonna give out two coins to the people that we feel you know did the best," uh-huh. and we're coming back on our la- the last ruck march for yeah. the entire basic training, and I remember thinking, "Oh my god, this is it! We're finally gonna be done." Uh-huh. And the drill sergeant walked up next to me. He's like, "Hey, Shendo, you're gonna get the other coin." So out of my group, I got I got one of the coins. And when I was there, I remember thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this to heart. I'm going to be the best soldier I can possibly be, right? Uh-huh. And I'm still learning. I'm still new, but I made mistakes. And I remember when I, when I, when I pick something up, I want to be extremely good at it. Yeah. And at that time, I wanted to be extremely good at being a soldier. Yeah. And I took it to heart. I, I took it serious from the first day. And I remember when I'd make mistakes and let the team down. And everyone would be doing push-ups because of me, or I did something. Yeah, dude, that that sets you back. It humbles you quick. Yeah. Like yeah. you're like, oh man, my whole platoon hates me right now because I forgot my wet weather top. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're in trouble. You're getting jacked up for, and they'll make you do push-ups until you puke. I've seen people just arms give out, fall on their faces, fall on their heads. One time we got, one time we got a, a blood drawn. We had to get blood for some reason. And when we got back into our formation, you always fall back into formation every time you're done with something, right? Yeah. We got back into formation and somebody had messed up and did something. And the drill sergeant just started tuning us up like right there. And, the, and it was raining. We were doing bear crawls on the, on the ground. We we're push-ups, everything you can think of, you name it. We we're carrying water cans. And you got you to gotta tap into your, like there's like this little reserve tank or this place that you got to have in your head that you can go to. You can go just sit there whenever times are getting so hard and you feel like you just can't go and they and it just keeps going and going yeah. and going. You're like, when is this going to be over? You got to have like this little mental spot in your head where you can kind of disappear for a while. And and that's what that's what I would do. And I, and I went there that day. I was just getting destroyed. And I remember looking down at my arm and where the, where the hole was from the needle, it was pushing blood back out <laughs> my entire sleeve was covered in blood because yeah. that hole wasn't sealed yet. And I was like, Joe Sergeant, um, I, my top's ruined. It's covered in blood. He's like, I don't give, you know, I don't care. Uh-huh. He just kept going. He's like, that's that's awesome. Damn. And they got him off. Like, he was excited that he got our whole platoon <laughs> to just get our, our tops bloodied up, you know. <laughs> the whole sleeve was covered in blood. But my, my case was a little different because um, – I was in a special forces platoon. Okay. The guy that was in charge of us, he was a special special forces soldier. Can't say that. And he so he took all of the in all of the soldiers that wanted to go do SF also. What's so SF? What is special that? forces. Oh. So everybody in my platoon but me was supposed to go on and become an SF guy. Uh-huh. And I was like, why am I in this platoon? I'm not 
going special forces after this. I'm just going to airborne school. Well, I've, I found out that the reason they stuck me in there is because I had got um, an airborne contract. So all I was supposed to do after basic training was go to airborne school and then go to my unit. Yeah. And I was the only dude out of like a thousand people there that just had a straight airborne contract. Yeah. So they were just like, oh, we'll stick that guy with the SF guys and he'll just travel with them to um, airborne school. So after we went to airborne school together, I still went with my friends. Uh-huh. Um, we ended up going to, uh, we'll, I think we all went to Fort Bragg together because that's where they have the special forces training. Yeah. And then from there, we went our own way. Wow. So they they held our platoon to a little bit of a higher standard. Um, they, they beat us a little bit more, uh, worked us a little bit more. I remember the other platoons would see us running by and they talked to us a little bit here and there. And they'd be like, man, that sucks, man, that you ended up in that <laughs> platoon. <laughs> well, how many years were you there for it? Well, basic training lasted, I, I don't know how many weeks. I don't remember. It's been so long ago. Um, but I was in I was in the Army for five years. Wow. Yeah, from 2010, 2016. You know, one thing that always struck me as interesting is um, I read somewhere that Native Americans have, like, the highest percentage rate in our race to of people join the military. Um Dude, it's in, have you heard that? Have you heard that? Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, a lot of people that I've actually met that were natives out there did an amazing job. Yeah, we were so good at it. You know, I think it's because the most of the Native Americans that joined the military come from tougher backgrounds. Definitely, there's a lot of people in Mescalero who've been to the military. Like I remember the parade, they they list off so many people you see, right? So many names of of uh, people. That's that's pretty proud. You know, I mean, that's 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 awesome. But, our race is known for that, you know. That's yeah. And our tribe. And, I, you know, we can keep going on this for, for a long time, and I, I've got tons of information to give and stuff, yeah. but um, maybe we can come back to this towards the end yeah. and talk a little bit more about the military because I feel like this conversation going for a while. Um, what, I, what I wanted to get out of the way, um, you know, the well, whole... Can I do, do one more question? Okay. What, what was interesting, because um, I've always heard this debate with uh, Native Americans and with, with different tribes and whatnot, mm-hmm. but they feel like, you know, um, the, well, the way most people feel is it's an honor to go to the military. You know, you respect the flag, you respect everything, but then there's this other side that feels like, man, uh, why fight for a country that never fought for you? Why yeah. why uh, would you put your life on the line for white people, you know? And there's even there's even activists who are Native Americans who actually don't respect the flag, don't respect the government, and they, they'll actually go as far as burning the flag. I've seen sting, things like that. Yeah. What would you think about all, all, all that? Well, now I'm, in a, now I'm in a biased situation because I have joined the military, yeah. and so I'm going to choose that side. Definitely. <clears throat> but um, one of the... And there... My attitude towards it changes from time to time. Like there's one day when I when I feel this way about it. There's one day when I feel that way about it. But what I, what I do know uh-huh. is that hatred's not going to fix the issue. Yeah. That's what I do know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to choose to hate the government. I'm not I'm not you know what's what struck me when it first kicked off. I remember thinking, you know what, there's so many people from a reservation that actually don't like me. There might be even a few of them that we can go. I can go as far as say as they probably hate me. You know, I don't. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But when I joined the military, every single one of those guys out there would have put themselves in front of a bullet for me yeah. in my platoon. I can say mm-hmm. we we loved each other. We were brothers. Um, we went out and we fought together. We 
we did. We saved each other's lives at times. Yeah. You, you're sleeping in a you're sleeping in a tent or you're sleeping on the ground, cuddling up to your your teammates, like just trying to survive the night because it's so cold. You're you're sharing everything. You're sharing your clothes. You're sharing your food. You're sharing. You're you're cuddling these other men just to not freeze to death. Yeah. You know? It's so cold. Yeah. And then the next day the sun comes back up. You're in Afghanistan. And you got to get your load back on and it sucks. Uh-huh. You, you probably like collectively got four hours of sleep. Yeah. And you're like, damn, like how am I going to put this bag back on and walk like another 12 miles? Like I think about all that stuff. And then I think about all the people that are actually, okay, so if we had no government, we had no army, mm-hmm. we had no United States, how would our reservations alone stand up to all the other countries with their rockets and with their firepower and with their militias. Like, you know, now we're on a team now and we got to, we got to actually, I think we we need to start putting away our hatred for each other and then figure out some way to work together. Definitely. You know, we, we're all one big team. We're all going to fight together. And right now there's a lot of non-tribal members that are in the military that are dying for our country. Yeah. With no United States, we have no reservation and, you know, and it's it's a beautiful thing that we even still have our reservations and people leave us alone, you know. Yeah. If things could be a lot worse. I'm not defending the government in any way. But what if another country had invaded? What if China took over? Mm-hmm. Like, when you're in China, you, you can't even say anything against the government. They'll, uh-huh. they'll kill you. Yep. They will take your life because you said something. Yep. You don't have freedom of speech there. You can't have as many kids as you want there. What if China beat Columbus to the united states and we were run underneath like a chinese government we had no reservations people didn't care about like things could just be different you know yeah but what i do know right now is uh i think america is probably after seeing the world america is definitely one of the best places i've ever seen you know seeing afghanistan seeing um even when i went through ireland it was beautiful but there's nothing to me like america yeah we can go to the movies we can take our kids to the movies we can take our kids to walmart we can go to verizon and buy our our young children cell phones and have all of these things at our fingertips and you know that that, those are beautiful things that that piece that i see out here and there's a lot of debate i think i would actually need like somebody who was anti-government and like all these you know these these things you hear to sit in front of me and talk about it but I, I see like um, people that go to the military, and I'm very I, I got respect for veterans, you know, because they they're putting their life on the line for our country. But then I'm also a fan of Have you heard of Natani Means? He's a rapper, a Native American rapper, dope, and he's a real activist. He's on the front lines fighting for uh, for uh, the water, you know. The, was it Pine Ridge? What is it? What's the reservation called? Oh, Standing yeah. Rock. In Standing Rock, he's on the front lines, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he's one of those. He's against the whole thing, and he actually has a video. Where he burns the American flag, yeah, and I'm like, what the, f-? you know, and they kind of, yeah. it, and it's like, I don't know, it's maybe we need to be on the same page. A, a discussion with him would be good to figure, figure that out. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm, I'm really not trying to disrespect people that hate yeah. the government. Yeah, uh, I'm just not one of those people. Yeah. you know, and also, like I was saying, you know, going out there and, and fighting that fight with, um. Mm-hmm my platoon and stuff man that that right there it just put me 
it put me into a whole new perspective. I saw the world differently. Mm-hmm. Like this this white dude that I thought was just this white dude, he's now one of the closest people to me. I, br- I brought my friend here plenty of times, man. His name his name's Petey. Um, we call him Petey. His real name's Richard. Yeah. And I think I was talking about him today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my best friends, man. And this this guy, he would literally straight up die for me. Uh-huh. He he hugs me. He holds me. And it sounds it sounds like gay. And it's, but he really loves me, you know? Mm-hmm. And he would always tell me, he's like, man, if somebody ever kills you, bro, like if you ever took a bullet out here, he's outraged, man. Uh, I'd storm that nest. Like he just, he couldn't imagine losing me. And I was thinking, man, I don't even know too many people back home who think of me like this. Yeah. You know, maybe I could name one or two, but um, I just, you develop that bond out there. You see, you see life differently. Yeah. But you come back home and I can see why people are mad. You know, people are upset because they're not getting this or not getting that. And then the government becomes the enemy, right? Yeah, it's yeah. always that. It's always that. It's always the tough person that it, people try to want to blame somebody for their own problems. Like, I think that's kind of what it is. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that those, um, those situations are real sticky. What would you, you know? say to any like young people, maybe from our tribe or wherever, that are thinking about joining the military? Oh man, would I encourage it so much yeah. because even if you hated it. You could at least get a perspective of what life is like outside of the reservation. Yeah. You know, we, we grow up and I, I was one of these guys. I thought I knew everything. Um, and I was a real, a real turd back then. I was like, when I look back at it now, I'm almost embarrassed of who I used to be. Uh-huh. I, I, you know, I, I grew up just doing what everyone else did. And I had to be the best, you know, at whatever I was doing at the time. And sometimes I, I was the best at being just a, a bad person, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. But when I got out and I, first of all, the military, you grow up, you grew up quick. Yeah. You got, you, you realize like, okay, I'm here. I'm amongst men. I got to do my job. Mm-hmm. And those responsibilities that they put on you make you grow up. Those little things, you don't even know, you don't even know it at the time, but you're changing. And then also going overseas you know, you're seeing Americans that sometimes, you know, we, we've seen Americans die over there. Yeah. And it changes, it changes you big time. You, you see how people live. Uh, you seen seeing the villages with no electricity or running water, seeing the children come outside and just pop a squat. And that's, that was their, that was their bathroom. Wow. They just had to go on the side of the house. Yeah. You know, and they were used to it. They were, they were dirty. I remember it was so hot walking through some of these villages and there's nothing for these kids to do. They have no shoes. They're, you know, barely have clothes. They're laying down in these little huts that have no doors. Uh-huh. They're laying in the shade of them. And they're just laying there on their backs. They're, they're out of boredom, just staring at the ceiling. Yeah. And, and on this blazing hot day, these kids have no air conditioning to go sit inside and play um, their Roblox or, you know, whatever video game it is. And you see that and, and, and it... You know, it takes you, it takes you to a different place. You, you just become different because of it. Mm-hmm. And also being in that environment for so long around other people, a lot of good, good qualities eventually rub off on you. Yeah. So when I came back, you know, I wasn't the same anymore for a whole bunch of reasons, but I did pick, and I picked up a lot of good qualities from other people. And a lot of those things rubbed off on me and it made me a different person. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking to, to join the military, I highly recommend it because for one, you're going to grow up. 
two, you're going to have amazing benefits afterwards. I'm using my GI Bill to go to college. Mm -hmm. So even if you didn't like the military and you hated it and you thought it was stupid, you can at least use your GI Bill to go out and become something different. Yeah. Um, you know, there, I, I just can't. I, I believe if you're able, you should serve. Mm -hmm. I think you should because of the benefits that you'll see in growth and, you know, your actual benefits when you get out. You have your, your loan, your VA loan. You can buy a house. Mm -hmm. You can do these things. That's uh, awesome. I support anyone that goes because for yeah. one, I know, shout out to um, Tobias Palmer. He just signed up, I think, uh, about, no, he didn't just sign up. He went through basic training and now he's in Washington. He's he from just, He's from Escalero. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just got to his duty station. Is that Ferret's son? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just went. Uh, I don't, I don't know about anyone else that's joined recently, but um, I remember he was talking to me about it. He was real nervous. Is that, I, don't I don't know about it. I don't know. I was like, dude, it's going to change your life. You're going to meet people. Yeah. You're going to make awesome friends. You're going to get awesome experiences. Mm -hmm. And you're going to become a man. I said, don't be afraid of this change that's about to happen. Yeah. And I told him, I said, you know, when I left, I'll, I always wanted to come back to the reservation to visit people. But the more I came back, the more I realized, like, you know, maybe I don't need to come back as much. There's, yeah. there, it's, it's the same. It's the same as when I left. Yeah. And it's always good to come back home, but oh yeah, I mean you don't gotta stay. <laughs> not until you're done uh, doing what you what you want to do with your yeah. life, you know. And I'm not knocking on home. Home's yeah. great, yeah. you know. But I think I was like I said, I was one of those people that was growing up in in the, in the wrong environment. Uh -huh. uh, I was doing whatever I wanted to do, uh, getting away with treating people bad, mm -hmm. and I didn't know. I didn't really really know I was doing wrong you know yeah. I was kind of just living life I was just doing whatever and then after I joined the military and I started I got a new perspective on life it changed me it changed me big time and I'm so happy I went I'm so proud of what I done too you know like I'll, I'll never be you, you won't see anyone more proud than than I am about things I've like personally ac accomplished um, it, it feels great it's a great feeling and it also humbled me in a way too because when I left the left the Mescalera Reservation, I, I realized real quick I'm not the baddest dude around, you know. Yeah. Going to do some of those like mixed martial art training camps and things like that. There's there's people in there that can destroy you. They can kill you with your bare hands. Yeah. You're, you're not the toughest guy, you know. You learn that right away. And then there's people that are faster than you, stronger than you, better than you, dude. You you are like the mindset that a lot of us natives have when we grow up you know we're we think we're a bunch of tough guys yeah. you know I, I challenge you to join the military especially when we get our beer balls yeah <laughs> exactly I'm a victim of that still I need to keep myself under control so I don't drink as much but um, if anyone's thinking about it if anyone has any questions about joining I you know I highly recommend that you do it you take that leap don't be afraid and just just go after it so it's a life changer. That's awesome. Um, one, okay. So we talked a lot about me, and like I said, I can continue on for hours. Like I've got a whole bunch of situations I like to talk about. Yeah. But I, I have, I have a couple questions for you before we, we get any further into the into the military thing. Okay. Um, first of all, like you said, you stated earlier in the podcast that we don't really know each other that well. We just came up with yeah. this idea in the EDR. Yeah. This is a purely a, um, a lunch idea that evolved and now we're sitting here behind some microphones. Yeah. And so I, I actually still have to learn, uh, learn about you. And 
my first impression of you whenever I, we started talking is I was kind of thinking, man, we are so opposite. Yeah. Like you know, it's opposite day too. Did you say that? It's not <laughs> <my> opposite day. <laughs> See, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're meant to be here. Alexa told me that this morning. So, yeah, like I was telling you in the pot, uh, in that EDR, I was like, dude, we're we're very different. You yeah. you're aware of that, right? You're yeah. like, yeah, I get it. But as I as I left and thought about that, I was kind of thinking maybe that's what's going to make this good content. Definitely. Two completely opposite guys sitting here having conversations about stuff, um, different perspectives on life. Uh, first, you know. I'm pretty sure most people know you, but for those that don't, where did you graduate? Reynoso, Reynoso High School. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you grew up, uh, what What were you into when you were growing up? I've always been into rap music. That's the first thing. Ever since I was in the, when I was in second grade, I can, you know, no, I can still remember the first time I heard rap music. I swear to God, I was sitting, I remember I was sitting at the feast grounds, actually. A dude walks up, I was probably maybe three or four years old. A dude walks up with a boombox. And I remember hearing the the turntables that and the and the you know, the rap on there. Yeah. And I can remember that's the first time I heard it. Uh, and my dad, I was sitting next to my dad right there at the feast, and my dad was like, "Man, I hate that music, that that <laughs> rap music, that rap." T- I thought you were saying rap because I was so young, I never heard of that before. And I just remember saying, "Yeah, I know, Dad. I hate that rap music, that rap <laughs> music too." Tried to agree with him, you know? but in the back of my mind, I was like, "Damn, I love that music." And, Shit, from then on, like, I, that's been my main thing since since I was a kid. i just always been into it. I remember the first um, rappers I heard were Criss Cross, uh, Warren G, um, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, all of that. That's, so that's my, that's been one of my main things in life was rap music. Was for, for, rap. Some of, for some of the audience that does, doesn't know you, um, so some, some of the things that you do is involves nothing but music right yeah yeah you you record um do you do you have any albums or yeah i got on itunes right now um i have an album i have actually there's two down there you can go get one of the first well the first one i recorded was in 2004 professionally the not 2004 2005 it came out professionally and it, it but it's not even there no more the label that i was signed to at the time i don't think they exist no more they were called sonic wave entertainment they kind of fell off, so you can't even find. I have it somewhere in my computer, but the ones you can find on iTunes is called uh, "From Another Galaxy." That one came out in two thousand ten, and the one I recently released, well, in two thousand eighteen. Damn, it's already almost been two years. It's called uh, "Mescalero Vegas." And <laughs> that's my latest one that I that I put out. So people, if they want to check it out, they can go get it. And then I got a song with T Pain on SoundCloud. No way. Yeah, with T Pain. Um, I met T Pain's manager. He's actually half Native American. Really? I met him in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, when I told you about, I went to Las Vegas a couple years ago. I met him, and we got to talking. And I always said this. I always said, if I could ever do a feature, it'd be from T Pain. Ever since he was famous in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and I told that dude that he's like, I can make it happen. I used to book for T Pain. I booked all his shows, and I have a verse uh, laying around in his files that he's never been used, and he was supposed to use it to somebody else. But so he sold it to me. And uh, I, I, I put it up, and it's on SoundCloud right now. Yeah, wow. Yeah. See, coming back, you know, I've been, I was gone for a long time, and I came back. I don't think I ever even met you before mm-hmm. I left, and then I got back. I ran into you here and there. Yeah. Friends with most of your family anyway, and yeah. it was just uh, by chance, we're, of course, we're going to run into each other yeah. and stuff. So I, I, knew, I knew you were into music. 
I knew you were DJ yeah. because I had seen you do it at the Club 49 one time. Yeah. And I knew you worked at the inn. That's yeah. all I knew. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have all, I had all these questions about, about music. You kind of answered a couple of them already. Um, but how how much performing have you actually done like as a as like an artist when i started i was a i guess you can say I, you know i hate this title and i'll talk a little bit more about about it later on but i was a christian artist mm-hmm. um so i did so many christian shows christian concerts all over the southwest and i was actually on god's learning channel glc um twice once in 2005 2007 wow so but uh, yeah i performed all over the southwest area and then uh if I, after in 2013 opened up for uh, Warren G and Bone Ducks and Harmony uh, if I could add, add up all the shows together I'd probably say at least a hundred shows yeah most of them there were a lot of Christian shows though, a lot of a lot of Christian stuff going on I love it I, I love that but I just don't like that title no more you know mm-hmm. so I wouldn't I just want to be known as a rapper a, a rapper not a you know I don't even want to I don't like being uh, categorized as a native rapper either. Yeah. Or at one one point in time, I was categorized as Chicano because I was signed. Oh, I was with a Chicano rap label for a couple of years too. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's I cat. I don't like being categorized. I just want to be able to rap. Whatever yeah. That's so. that's interesting. I, I see what you're saying, and I can I can agree with that too. I think if I was ever to do anything like that, I'd want to yeah. just be known for just whatever it is I was doing that that specific. Um, show or that talent you know i wouldn't want to be categorized like like you're saying it's like because then they throw you they throw you in a bubble and that's all you can do yeah yeah were you you ever nervous to perform definitely yeah all right was it something that you kind of overcame easy or did it did you Uh, overcome it kind of i still get nervous when i perform but once once um it's like the the first song it all goes away but yeah it's definitely nerve-wracking it's like I don't know uh, that you play football before a football game. You know when you get out there, uh, you're nervous the whole time. And once that first kickoff, the first hit, and then it all goes away. Then yeah. you're in the zone. It's kind of the same, the same thing. That's yeah. I, I don't I don't know if I could ever do it. Um, one of my I have like a lot of things I want to do. <laughs> There's a couple things. Uh, I want to try stand up one time. Yeah. I want to get in front of a crowd. Uh-huh. I want to play music, and I'm not that great. But I want to play a guitar in front of oh. a, even if the crowd's like twenty. Yeah. I just have like these weird little goals. I want to do everything. If like if I could have nine lives like a cat, yeah. and every time I die, I come back and just go into a new profession. Oh. I would do that. <laughs> I want to get my hands in it, everything possible. I'm just interested. Like when I see people framing a house, I'll yeah. stop and I'll trying to figure out what they're doing, why they're doing it like that, looking at all the angles. I get so hooked into things. Yeah. Um, if I could be a music artist, I'd, I'd get into music and just be around it. You know, music was huge for me growing up. It's always been huge. It's always been a big part of my life. Yeah. Uh, my family's, we, one of the, one of the few things that we could actually um, communicate over was music. Um, but anyway, I, I just couldn't imagine standing up on a stage in front of hundreds of people or thousands of people and, you and know what? trying it's to put weird. on a show. The more people, the easier it is. I've done shows where there's only been like 20 people and it, and uh, it's it's kind of nerve wracking. Then I I've done crowds with a thousand, and it's much it's it's easier for some reason. <laughs> you know, I get more nervous when I'm in for some reason. Like, and if I'm never in a meeting, I get more nervous when I'm having to talk in front of a couple people, like ten people, for some reason. It, it's weird. When it when it comes to performing like that, do you have? 
so you have like these songs that you're you're performing right yeah yep. do you, you, so you just have to memorize word yeah. for word yep. you have to know it inside yeah. and out so that's scary too I used to give this thing actually I kind of know know a little bit about standing in front of people um it has nothing to do with rap whenever I was in the in the army I went to this school it's called jump master school uh-huh. and so we can get into a whole story about this. This is a good story, mm-hmm. but just to skip to the point, yeah. when I when I graduated from it, I had to um, give up and give these long speeches. Yeah, and there were it was called pre jump, and since I was the new guy, I had just got my my jump master certification. I was the guy, of course. They're gonna be like, all right, man. He put the new guy up there, make him do pre jump, uh-huh. and so when you do pre jump, it's when I read the book, they give you like they give you this book that's stapled together. And one of the things you have to learn out of it is, you know, pre-jump is in there. Uh-huh. And I think that thing was like 15 pages. Yeah. And they grade you off of every single word that you miss. Yeah. So if you say, and, when you were supposed to say and, or you say of, and you said have, yeah. that's the point. And they're very strict on it. They're, they have the book in front of them. And so you, you get in front of this person, and you're like, all right, jumpers hit it, and then... then they do this thing where they get in a position like they jumped out of a plane and you're like your first point of performance check canopy gain canopy control I still kind of know some of it you know yeah. and you just spit it out you're just vomiting this thing right mm-hmm. and you remember every word because you don't want to get marked off and I think I got like a I only missed like six words out of that whole 15 pages right mm-hmm. so anyway I get to doing real jumps I have to stand in front of 100 people and do it and the first time I had to do it one of the guys who brought me under his wing to help me do these jumps and get soldiers out of airplanes, he was a vet at this stuff. He'd been doing it for years. Yeah. He was like, all right, Chendo, come on, get up here, man. You're doing pre-jump. And I was like, oh, crap, man. I'm all kind of nervous. And he's like, no, you got it, man. Go ahead, get up there. He sends me up there. And they're oh, look, they're doing pre-jump. So another unit sent all their guys over to my station to get pre-jump taken care of. <laughs> so I had like 500 people around my podium. And they're all watching you. It's outside. They're all I'm in the middle. And I had this thing. I even had a cheat sheet because when you graduate, you can use a cheat sheet. Yeah. I even had a cheat sheet. And I was like, all right, jumpers hit it. And I froze. I forgot everything I was supposed to say. Everyone was looking at me like, come on, dude. I could almost kind of hear it in the back of my head like, boo. <laughs> this guy's bombing. Get yeah. him off the stage. Dude, I froze for a good, awkward like 20 seconds man it was long dude i was just frozen i didn't know what i was supposed to and then it just hit me dude it hit me like um like a big fresh breath of air man thank god it hit me uh, and i spit it all out and i got off and i, I remember my face was feeling red was what, the first what do you have to say or what do you have to you do? give a whole rundown and uh, these guys are all underneath your podium they're reenacting the jump uh, so you're instilling the entire process of the jump uh-huh. with this thing called pre-jump and so you literally walking through walking them through an entire jump but you're you know you're pretending okay. and so while you're up on the stage they're all looking at you taking the commands and you're like all right jumpers hit it and they pretend they jump they literally pretend they jump out of a plane they do a little hop yeah and they snap into their position and they're like upon exiting the aircraft you're going to snap into a good tight body position elbows tight to your sides hands over the ends of your reserve parachute with your fingers spread you're gonna bend slightly at the waist and keep your, uh, it's like keep your feet and knees locked together, your legs locked to the rear. I don't know. Yeah. It's got this whole thing, and so you, that's when they're jumping out of the plane, they're falling out. 
and then they're gonna you're like all right your second point of performance is check canopy and gain canopy control and then they pretend they grab their canopy and they're looking up and you're like you're gonna do a 360 degree check of your canopy uh-huh. and then so they're pretending they're doing the check you're doing the whole thing <laughs> and it's a long like i said rehearsed speech and so they're all they're all looking at you but and if you screw up everybody talks about it so you don't want to screw up yeah you try to get it all right but yeah that's 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 my performance i used to give pre-jump <laughs> and like i was and that's the only thing i can compare it to i couldn't imagine having to do music like i was saying earlier um when we were eating i i don't like attention kind of like this setting right here yeah i was uh, i'm a little uncomfortable doing it because it's something that i have to do for attention you yeah. know and it's easier right here because there's no crowd uh-huh. i can only imagine the people that are going to listen to this but I don't like going into situations where I'm asking for attention. I like natural attention. Like I was telling you. Yeah. I like to... People are genuine. I think that's what it's about, you know? Like... Bartending's great. Yeah. Everyone wants to talk to the bartender. Mm-hmm. And when I bartend, uh, it's easy. Everyone wants, everyone wants my attention. And it's great. And so, you, are you going to a birthday party and everyone kind of thinks you're cool? And you yeah. walk in, hey, hey, what's up, man? And that kind of attention. Like, I, I like those things. Yeah. But when I'm asking for it, it's different. And like going on stage, that would be hard. I applaud you for that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to... I kind of had like intentions of getting you on my side with this podcasting when I brought it up. Uh-huh. I was like, dude, I, I kind of want to run, run a podcast someday where we interview people. Yeah. And you're like, let's do it. I've been wanting to do a podcast for years. I've been talking about it with different people. But um, like you were the first one that was actually had that drive that... The, the, to really do because you know a, a lot of people they do talk make this talk and they're all talk you're the first one you know I like when you said when I say I'm going to do so I'm going to do it and I, that's one thing I think we do have in common cause, because I think that's how it came together you know so and what I, what I was getting at was like <clears throat> the, the thing that I, I admire about you right away is that you're a performer and our, our reservation man is full of a lot of people uh-huh. who have something to say mm-hmm. and I think it's incredible that you never had to leave home and you still somehow worked up the courage yeah. to just pursue your music and try to stay positive about it. You 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 performed with these people. You performed with. Um, you said you opened for Bone Thugs um, and all it was, these. It was Bone Thugs, Warren G, Mac Tan, DJ Quick. Who else was it? It was a big. It was one of the best contests. Like and and I I think that's yeah. great, man. Because yeah. there's a lot of people that have ideas and ideas are, are worth nothing until you act on them. Yeah. And I really admire somebody who can make, you know, even if I don't, I would never see myself as a rapper, uh-huh. but I still respect what you're doing. I think it's great. You yeah. know, I just don't think I could pull it off. But, you know, you're, you're getting up there and putting yourself in awkward, in weird situations. I gave a speech in uh, the Redosa High School one time. One of my talking points was you need to become comfortable being, being uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And by being comfortable in uncomfortable situations, Man, you can conquer the world, you know, because everything that we go out and we do, we're never, even if we have to go to the bank, you know, even most of the, the, the res people that I know, we, like, if I see them in the bank, like, hey, what's up, man? Usually real shy. Yeah. But then I see them at a house party. Hey, what's up, bro, man? Shake my <laughs> hand, give me hugs, get asked if I want a drink. And there, there's just that thing of having to go out in public and do things. And you but, ever thought about why are, are people are people are so shy? Because we're I, I kinda, I'm sh- I'm kind of shy too. I, I won't lie. I, well, I gotta wait till I get comfortable with somebody to actually talk to them. Yeah, I kind of I kind of felt that because whenever I picked up, I'm kind of just I'll talk to anybody. I can sit by anybody, 
I walked up to the EDR. I kind of sensed it. I said, hey, man, there's no more tables open. Uh, I might have a sit by you. I don't remember what it was. I just sat by you. Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, man, whatever. And you were kind of just listening. And I was like, man, he's going to come out of his shell eventually. And it didn't take too long. Yeah. But eventually, you were you were telling me things. And I didn't feel like you hated me. You know, I was like, what if this guy hates me? <laughs> <laughs> no. I think, a lot of, I think a lot of people think that... The, uh, especially for my tribe, like, what if that guy don't like me, or what if they, this and that, and I think we're just all kind of, we keep to ourselves, because our generations before us, that's how they had to be, you know? Yeah, you know? we're, and we're quick to, um, we're quick to criticize, and I think, it's, it's kind of blown up now, whenever you go into a situation, nobody wants to be, to look like the idiot, yeah, yeah, there's something, definitely. there's something about that, amongst our people, we do not want to be the first one to go to the place. Like, hey, can we eat yet? And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, they said, go ahead and make a plate. Well, come with me. Like, you know, yeah. you, just, you hate to be first. You hate yeah. to look dumb. Like, yeah. and, and, that's, and I think that's part of it. But what I, I kind of have a sense about it. Um, I don't think it all boils down to one thing. I think we're a little secluded. Society took off in, in a different direction than any of the reservations did. Uh, a lot of the reservations kept their culture. We're, we're stuck to ourselves. But like when you when you go out into, you know, you leave the reservation. If you live off the reservation for a for a while, a lot of people seem to be more socially adapted because of all the different types of cultures that they come across. They've been exposed to a little bit more. Like for me, I was in North Carolina for so long. I got exposed to so many different things. One of the main things I got exposed to was that Southern accent. Oh, right. And I almost kind of felt like I was getting an accent. <laughs> really? So I'd have to check myself and be like, man, that's not res, man. I can't say that. Like, <laughs> what am I saying? I got, I need my words. I need my, my Eddie. Like, I need to call someone Eddie today. Like, this will not stand. But even my son, he grew up there, you know. Uh, he um, lived there from, like, when he was, like, two to seven. I, I don't remember. He, he lived there for five years. Uh, and so to him, he was like, where are we going? And I was like, well, we're moving home. He was like, this is home. And yeah, I realized yeah. it. Like, oh, shit. You know, he grew up here. Because those years, you're getting programmed, you know. Like, from, yeah. from when you're born to seven years old, you're, you're basically, you're, I don't know, you're subconscious or however they say it, is getting programmed to what... Did he, does he have an accent? Did he have an accent? He did. He had a little bit of like a southern accent in uh-huh. his um his my my wife's mother, she called him on it one time. She said, Say that again? Uh-huh. And he said it and it kinda of drew. I didn't catch it. And she was like, You ever, you notice Logan's starting to talk like he's got that southern draw? Yeah. And I was like, Oh well, yeah, I, I hear it all the time. Maybe, maybe he does. But uh-huh. um whenever you whenever you leave, man, you you kind of you lose that that shyness because you eventually you kind of get numb to meeting new people yeah. like whenever i had to go meet a lot of new people it was a big thing it was a big deal uh-huh. so to go sit by a stranger oh man like i never do that but after going in the military and being exposed exposed to so many strangers all the time yeah. i got numb to it that feeling of meeting somebody for the first time it's gone now like that excitement yeah i just meet so many people you know and whenever you're you're you your, your world is so small on the reservation you, you don't get exposed to a lot of those situations you don't have that chance to be numbed like the way I was yeah and meeting new people and talking to new people and being outgoing and it's 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 one of those cultural things you know yeah, and there's definitely. nothing and there's 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 nothing wrong with it uh, I'm not saying anything bad about the people I actually enjoy being home yeah you know I enjoy it I like being around especially um, whenever you feel like that type of there's a certain type of love that you get from being in Mescalero yeah. that you, you don't get anywhere else. 
And there was times when I thought I was going to be treated a certain way and I was expecting like a certain treatment somewhere and I didn't get it. Uh-huh. And I had to remind myself like, man, I'm not on the res no more. Like people don't treat me like this. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Like going into, um, if I was to go into someone's home on the res, uh-huh. I'd feel totally comfortable. Like if I, if I went into like any house, I sit down and they're like, hey, you want something? Just go grab something in the fridge. You want a Coke? You know, I'm just like, yeah, I'll take yeah. a Coke. Like, you know, whatever. But then whenever you go to like a stranger's house, like you never met, and like I was out there in North Carolina, um, it's it's different, man. You you you're kind of you you gotta you gotta get used to being good at uh, being heard, vocalizing, uh-huh. um, getting your message across. And when you in the work environment, when I left home, that's when I blossomed uh-huh. because I had to get really good at uh, communicating with with strangers. Mm-hmm. I had to get really good at showing people above me. That I wasn't an idiot for one I could communicate yeah and then I had to get good at conveying my message across the people that were underneath me getting people to follow you is, an, is, a, is a is a huge task when you gain that type of confidence from your your crew you know you did something right yeah and so you're building um, people skills the entire time you're you're gone and I would have never been able to build those type of skills if I would have just stuck on the res because I would have never been put in those situations, you know, yeah. with all these strangers. And when you get used to communicating with strangers like this, you get a real broad sense of how you need to communicate. So you start talking, you start using different terms, different types of, um, you know, different vocabulary. And you become a little bit more smoother with conversation. Yeah. And when I went home, seeing people that I hadn't seen in, you know, seven years or five years, whatever, whatever it was. And I immediately come off, start talking to them, and they kind of. Sometimes I would see people withdraw a little bit and get uh-huh. kind of quiet in the conversation, yeah. and it's like they're just watching me, they're just listening to me, uh-huh. and I don't know what it is, but sometimes I kind of feel like, well, maybe they don't know me anymore. Yeah. Maybe I'm coming off a little, a little strong, you know, uh-huh. and I'm not, I'm not in their comfort zone anymore, you know, yeah. with, with conversation as far as that goes, and so yeah, uh, I don't know where I was, where I was going with that, but. Uh, I think we're shy for a whole number of reasons, yeah. a whole mess of reasons well, we're shy I mean, people. Our parents and grandparents, they were like pretty much captured and put in boarding schools and told not, they weren't able to speak their language, they weren't able to cut their hair, I mean mm-hmm. they weren't able to grow the hair out, they weren't able to do their cultural, and it, it brought them, it just broke them I think, that's where it comes from. My dad was actually in a boarding school, he grew up in a boarding school, Yeah. in uh, Albuquerque I think, or Santa Fe. And I think a lot of us come from that, and it just gets passed down from generation to generation. That's why uh, a lot of us are so shy, and so uh, feels like we we're not good enough to do what the rest of the, the world can do. I think that's what. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. We're we're a new generation. Yeah. And you know, hence this podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, we're we're such a new generation that we're talking into a bunch of microphones. You know, discussing things. Yeah. Like, why why would we need to do that in the past? Mm-hmm. No, no reason at all, and the new generation that we have now, I think there's going to be a lot of change all all across the board for reservations. I think um, a lot of this new uh, technology and education and, ex- and all the exposure to things, because now you know 
as secluded as we like to think that we are on reservation, we're not anymore. Mm -hmm. We have all of this access now to the internet. You yeah. know, we can watch YouTube, we can YouTube get on Facebook. YouTube is and, our kids, it seems like, I think. Exactly. And they're picking up all the trends all across the world. Exactly. Like, so. my, my kid learned how to do the floss from YouTube. <laughs> then, and I realized, like, that's a form of communication. He's walking yeah. into a room. He's showing his friends that he knows how to do this thing that he also saw on TV or whatever. Uh -huh. And th it, it's um like you said, like raising our kids. Yeah. Like he picked up a skill. He learned how to surf YouTube, find what's new, and go do it in public. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, now, yeah, we're we're a new generation, and which is a huge reason for why I want to start this this podcast is. Now I think we we've got to capture the old generation's knowledge. We we've, we've got to Definitely. get their voice, yeah. even even just to hear like somebody that's worth listening to, mm -hmm. talk for fifteen minutes, and we have it recorded forever. Yep, that's gonna be amazing. Yep. and I feel bad. Like I said, you know, um, we had this is gonna lead me into it into another into another topic, but not too long ago, um, one of my good friends and everyone probably knows about this, but one of my good friends passed away, Tony Stevens. Yeah. Um, this, I wish I could have gained some of his stories. You know, he yeah. probably had some amazing stories that we could have put onto this podcast. He could have shared it with the world. We could have had his voice recorded forever. Did you see him on YouTube? That that uh, recording? I did it. That Skip Patrick recorded? No. Oh, it's on YouTube. But they were sharing it a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I got to. I recorded that. Oh but it was man! Over, but yeah, I got to watch it. I got to. Yeah, I got to work with him a, a lot. And he he he's a, he was a great person. And I actually. I took him to uh, the airport in El Paso one time when they're going to Houston, and uh, we we had some good conversations on the way down. And, yeah, he was he's, he was a great man. He was, I, he was I, an awesome uh, person. I didn't get to know him like that, like where you sit and you talk. Yeah. And now that's like one of my biggest regrets in life, right. and a lot of people probably don't know the the uh, the relationship that we had or that he sprung upon me. Uh, well, when I was a kid, I had traveled with one of his nephews to his mom and dad's house in Alabama yeah. and I spent a week with him and came back and he, he knew me as the kid who went to Alabama mm -hmm. and I saw him throughout the years and I left for the military and the first time I came back I'll tell you like this is the most excited I have ever seen a person for me uh, I walked in those doors I'm on I'm on leave I'm trying to go on a, on a quick you know snowboard trip before I got to go back to back to the army yeah and he saw he lit up there was a long line. He called me up to the front. He told everybody I was a hero. He made everyone step aside. Uh, he caused a big scene in front of me. He made people <laughs> take pictures of us together. Yeah. Um, he took me to the back. He's like, "You're you're a, you're a, you're a damn hero." He's yeah. like, "You you don't take you don't take that secondhand stuff back there." He's like, "Come back here. This is brand new. Use this right here. Here's a brand new board, never been ridden before. It's not even out yet. This is next year's board. It's a demo board." Uh, He's like, "You get dressed in my office, man. You're you're a hero. You come here. look at you." He's like, "You left the boy and you came back a man." This dude, pro he gave me so much support for joining the military. I mean, he made me really feel you know like a hero, like I did something great. And it was kind of it was kind of sad because when I got back, sometimes like you know I didn't I didn't get the um, I, I wasn't in it for the fame or anything. But sometimes like you get back and you just feel like people don't like you for joining. Yeah. Like maybe they feel like you might be better than them yeah. or something. You know, they kind of give you the shoulder. But this guy treated me so good. Every time I came back from from the army, man, he I walk in, he just yell my name, bring me right to the front, take so, 
And so that type of support, whenever I came home, it was huge for me because I didn't know if I was doing the right thing sometime, like did I make the right move? But when I got assured by people like that and I felt support, I felt so good. Yeah. And I, I felt like I was doing the right thing and I always wanted to thank him for that. So when I went to Afghanistan again, and uh, this is my second deployment in 2016, yeah. there was a, a regional, or there was some kind of certifying official. I don't know what kind of regional officer he was, but some guy, he was at our unit and he was there. He was signing certificates and he was certifying flags that were being flown in front of him. Yeah. So like you could fly your flag for a day and then when he took it down, he signed a piece of paper and you, you had to type out who it was to and all that. But then he signed the paper as the certifying official saying this, this flag is official and it flew in Afghanistan on this day in memory of, and I made one for him. And cause I, you know, when I got back home, I didn't have too many people like making me feel that way, you know, making that big of a scene every time I came around and I was like, Hey Tony, I got something for you, man. I went, I, I took that flag home. I went up to the ski. I said, I got something for you. You know, I know I don't I don't know you that well, but I just want to tell you that I do appreciate the type of support that you show me every time I come home. Yeah. He said, you don't have to give me nothing, man. What the hell, Blues? <laughs> like, come on, let's go in my office. Let's see what you got. Uh-huh. And I still get the chills thinking about yeah. it. But I pull I pull out this flag. I said, I got this this flag flown in, flown in your honor, uh-huh. and here's here's the the certificate to it, and it's it's certified as flown in your name. And he just he's like, boy, he's like, damn it. Shit, Blue, <laughs> you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I'm not going to cry in front of you, but damn it. He yeah. didn't know what to say. He gave me a big hug. He's like, this means so much. He's like, I'm, I'm clearing out the office for this. This is going to be the centerpiece. And, you know, he just he just held me. And but that and every time I seen him, dude, he's just so positive. Yeah. And one of my big things in life is you got to surround yourself with positive people Definitely. because it ensures you and what you're doing is right, you know. And yeah. that that was one of the first um, big supporters that I had that that in that fashion that solidified what I was doing. And when I found out he passed away and he got cremated like that, it hit me pretty hard, yeah. you know. And, and I wish we had this platform. I wish I could have yeah. talked to him on, on this kind of in this kind of fashion mm-hmm. and, and saved it forever, you know. Uh, but you're, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people, especially in our community, that we can get on there. I know people have stories and you know, like talents and stuff they want to share with the world, and it would be great just to talk to them. Right? Absolutely, and that that leads me to um, my next point. You know, anyone that's listening to this, anybody that has a story to tell, or if you know of somebody story that you want to get out there into the world. You need to definitely um, get in touch with us, and we'll have to we'll have to leave a whole little segment at the end of this podcast that you know leaves all of our contact information and where they can reach us and how they can yeah. uh, lead us. So stay um, stay listening for that. But if if anyone out there has any suggestions, you know, feel free to feel free to hit us up because you know this is gonna, this is a relaxed podcast. You know, nothing about this is formal. And uh, we're not doing this to be serious in any kind of way. We're not. We're not doing this to. Uh, we're doing it in a sense to be serious when it comes to interviewing the people. But the environment that we have set up right here, we're just two guys talking. Yeah. Um, we've got a microphone. It's nothing. It's nothing too intimidating. So if you got anybody that we can interview and talk to, um, like I said, just just get in touch with us. But 
uh, we got a few. I got a couple suggestions already. Yeah. And if I can, man, we we got or if we can, we we got to start interviewing a lot of the, the older people. Yes. You know, right away, we got to get their we got to get their voice heard, and and it doesn't even need to be a history lesson. Let's just get these guys on and talk to them, yeah. and get them for however long we can have them. Like I was telling you earlier, I, I had the opportunity to interview uh, Freddie Peso uh, ten ten years ago, or. 12 years ago actually before he passed away and it was one of the most amazing experiences he brought me into his little arbor at his house and i still have that footage i still have all that footage where i got i got to interview him and a lot of our elders i got to interview the late carlton palmer and uh, uh joe i got to interview joseph geronimo uh, who else was on that there was quite a few elders on there but i would just love to do that and get more just because uh our youth needs to hear it you know they need to hear their story yeah, I mean, I'm one of them, <clears throat> you know, yeah. leaving home too, it was kind of crappy for me because I was removed from, you know, all the cultural things that, uh, you know, I wanted to be a part of. I kind of lost a little bit of the language because I loved, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a, I had a goofy side to me all, always and I used to love giving my uh, Apache teachers a hard time. So I learned a little bit of Apache and, yeah. and I, I lost a lot of the words when I left. And I felt bad for it, you know. And I, growing up in the Mescalero schools, you learn a lot. You learn a good base, yeah. but you don't know enough to be fluent. Yeah. And that's one of my biggest regrets right now. And maybe it's not even in, in my control, but I'm not fluent. And I eventually, you know, talking about performing on stage and all this stuff. Excuse me. I want to be fluent. That's one of my big goals. Um, because To be fluent in the Apache language? Yeah. Because it's going to die, man. And yeah. everybody's... You know, we're not taking it serious enough. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. I feel like it is not just our fault. We are losing a lot of, you know, I'm not going to point fingers, but people will be like, you need to learn your language. You need to learn your language. You know, a, a lot of the reason you know, we don't know our language is that we weren't talked to that way growing up. Yeah. It's not my fault. I didn't grow up around um, fluent Apache speakers that always talk to me in yeah. Apache. You know, I was just a kid. And like I said earlier, you get programmed for when you're when you're one when you're born to so you're seven years old. That's when you're getting programmed. So exactly. it's harder to learn it when you're older. It's it would be for anybody that wants to teach that knows the Apache language, teach them when they're from birth to to I don't know until seven years old. I guess because and it's harder now to learn it. You're 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 right. Unless um, we get Rosetta Stone, if we if we uh, put up somehow to get the Apache language to Rosetta Stone or something. True, yeah. <laughs> we, we need to figure something out. Yeah, um, I would but, love to learn it too. Cause, and now that I'm home, I'm still not home because I'm going to school. Yeah. You know, and I, I haven't moved home yet. But uh, I, I need, I have a strong desire to become fluent in it. And that's one of my one of my biggest gripes is like, I hate being blamed yeah. for not knowing it. You know what? That's the same way I feel too. And, and a lot of the, the things about our culture is like, we get on to our youngs too much. It felt like that's the wrong way. You shouldn't do it that way. Or our family doesn't do the feast that way. We shouldn't do it like that. You know, it, it mm-hmm. just, it, it's hard. That's what makes it so hard. And it gets animosity between people on the res, I think. And I think instead of saying that, people should show them the right way or help them. Exactly. You know, in the right direction. Be, be the solution. It. And then whenever you're, and on the flip side, whenever somebody's trying to, you know, genuinely help you, don't turn them away. Yeah. Don't be like, I know everything. Yeah. You know nothing. You know, yeah. we, I've seen it so many times yeah. where someone tried to correct somebody in one of those situations and a fight broke out. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's, that's not how we do it, you know. But 
we're not receptive of it when we're being corrected. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm that way too. You know, I get stubborn. and But I'm trying to be more cognizant of whenever somebody tries to give me advice now. Yeah. I try to just be quiet and listen because I would I had a tendency to, you know, kind of lash out at people trying to give me advice. Like, you don't know me. You don't know what I know. Yeah. I, I know the best thing, you know. Yeah. So, but anyway, that was, like I was saying on my first gripe is, you know, it wasn't my fault why I don't know it all. I was just a kid. Mm-hmm. And when you're a kid, you, you only care about getting off of school, going, you know, or when you do go to school, going to lunch, you yeah. know, like, what are they serving today? Yeah. Then you want to go home and, and play with your toys or go outside. You're not trying you know, I'm not trying to learn another language <laughs> when I'm growing. But anyway. You got to have people speaking in front of you, I guess, you know. This has to come natural, I, I guess. I think I think um, the Mescalero Apache schools, though, for actually putting it in our curriculum. Because yeah. the majority of the Apache that I learned, I learned at school. Uh-huh. And I, I'm very thankful for that. Because, you know, I know most of the words. But, and another thing um, that drives me insane. Like, I almost want to confront people that do this and cause a big scene about it because it, it gets under my skin so bad when somebody's trying at least trying to speak apache but uh-huh. they're saying it wrong uh-huh. whenever people come down and correct them they laugh at them oh, they make yeah. fun of them because they can't speak the language yeah. you know they belittle them so we're so quick to sell someone they don't know how to say something right or yeah. and it drives me saying i'm like come on instead of putting them down Please teach them how to say it right. Yeah. You know, help them. They're trying. At least they're trying, man. It's so important that we at least try to keep our language alive, you know. And I think that goes for even the culture. The culture, too. If somebody's at the feast trying to help out, you know, be proud of them. Don't tell them, oh, you're doing that wrong. You're not putting up the TP poles right or whatever. Whatever it may be, you mm-hmm. know, help, help, them. You, help them. You know what? I have seen, and I've actually been, I've been scolded, you know, and, and that's kind of part of the culture when you're young, yeah. you know, you go through, you go, you go into a place you're not supposed to go, you get scolded, you're supposed to get scolded, like there's, there's times when you're supposed to get your hand slapped, right? Yeah. Like I said, it's part of the culture, but um, I, I have seen it to where someone is just trying to help and they're trying to learn and they get, they get scolded and it's not the time and place. They probably should have been taught how to do it right, you know, yeah. in that situation. I've seen that too. But I will say, um, Pascal and Jotty and Erica and Jotty, yeah. they um, they contacted me last year and they're like, "Hey, Blue, we want to hire you for our daughter's feast." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You guys know, I probably know nothing <laughs> about running the feast. Like, you're going to the wrong guy." Hire you, like, hire you to uh, they, to be a, like one of the groundsmen. The ground, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I had to go around and get wood and do become a whole part of the whole thing. And yeah. I said, "I I would love to." But I want you guys to know, like, I probably know nothing about this. Just about just being at the feast growing up, you know? Yeah. I love the feast. But I didn't know how to, you know, conduct myself when it was time to get things done, you know? But they were like, no, we're not choosing you for that. The reason we're choosing you is because we like the type of person you are. And those are the, you're, you're one of the people, you're the type of person we want around at our daughter's feast. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm game. I just want you to know. I probably don't know what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, so and then they're like, "That's great. We want to show you. You're gonna have your daughters are gonna have their feast too. So you better come learn." Yeah. Man, I was the first one up there for everything. I wanted to stack all the wood and put up the poles, and 
I didn't volunteer to, to run the rope, but uh-huh. I ran the rope. <laughs> and um, I did that entire feast. I was so happy about it because yeah. the entire time I was there, somebody was teaching me the right way to do this. Somebody yeah. was teaching me the right... Everybody was so positive. That's awesome. And That's how it should be. It was know? great. I had yeah. the greatest time. And when I look back at all the memories I had, like that was one of my favorite memories that I have. Yeah. It was being a part of, of Rose's Feast. And being a part of the culture, being taught, people were so helpful. Like, yeah. all the way around. They knew I was back from the army and I didn't know crap. Uh-huh. They were like, oh, this guy probably knows how to carry a gun, but he doesn't know how to work <laughs> at a feast. So yeah. everyone gave me so much help. It was great. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, neg- negativity, but I'd like to point out the positive stuff that there's, happened. There's so, much po- there's so much more positive, than, and I think we focus on the negative too much, you know? It could be. Um yeah, there's so much positive because how many other places you know that have our culture? Our culture is so rich and unique, and uh, there's five, there's five thousand of us, around five thousand tribal members. Yeah, and we just all we do stick together for the most part. I feel like you know we have yeah. differences, but for the most part, like especially when somebody passes away, I feel like we all come together and people are so supportive and. Not too many communities do that. Like, like right. we, that's one of the great things we have about our tribe. That's what I, that's what I love. Our, we're so we're proud of the, the things that we have. So. Speaking on that, like n- n- no other place have I seen like the highway pull over so your caravan can take you know your the your loved one down the highway to oh, yeah. to the service. Yeah, you know? the whole highway just pulls over, and you kind of know you're like, oh, it might it might be a a funeral that's passing by. You know? Yeah, and the whole caravan people coming through, and then you see maybe the hearse. And I, that's incredible. Like, you know, yeah. wherever, I, all the places I travel to, i never, never seen that, you know. Yeah. We just all know. Those are the little cultural differences, things yeah. like that. You're, you're right. Um, but, that, and, you know, another reason why we got to keep this co- this podcast going is, you know, we, we got to be able to point out a lot of positive things that are going on. Yeah. Uh, especially with the people that we interview. We got we to gotta get some people on. Um, I already got a few people in mind. That's going to be an interesting thing. Um, it kind of... So we kind of got off on a tangent there. Um, one of the questions that I had lined up for you before we started this was, uh, "What what are your what are your goals? What are your big goals that you got right now?" Might be a weird question to spring on you at the moment, and I apologize because <laughs> I put you on the spot. The first thing that came around, I said, "I want to be a millionaire." Like, <laughs> I'm not even ashamed to say that too. Like I, I definitely, and I don't really tell too many people this, but I'll say it here. But yeah, become become a millionaire. If you're that's serious about saying it, goals, you know? I'm excited uh, to I've, see you. I've always been that way since I was a, a young kid. I've always, I keep it to myself a, a lot. But And another goal, what I've been working on, one of my other biggest goals I've been working on, I want to get down to, uh, 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 I want to lose a lot of weight. I, I, Let's I tried, do it. <laughs> well, well, you know, this past, since in 2000. 12, I was at my heaviest, you know, I, I know a lot of people, we, we struggle with our weight, I was, I was up, I was really up there at 2012, uh, 2012, I was at the most I've ever weighed in my life, I always struggled with my weight since I was a kid, and um, 2012, I was at my heaviest, but since then, I've been losing more, I've been losing more, and I think I'm down, since then, probably 100 pounds, and I want to lose another 100 pounds. So that's another goal. I want, I want to lose another 100 pounds. You lost 100 pounds. Around, about 100. Well, I mean, it took, it took a, I mean, 2012, you know, since 2012, yeah. since now, I can show you pictures. I didn't even care about the years, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible, but, man. 
Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't really talk about it a lot. I just mm-hmm. keep it. I, well, I, I like to show results before I tell people. But exactly, yeah, and I, I, lost, I respect that. Yeah, I've lost about a hundred pounds since two thousand twelve, and I want to lose another hundred, but fast, faster. This I want to be, I want to be losing another hundred pounds before maybe a year or two, two years at the most. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's two of my main goals. Well, we got we got to get together, man. Yeah. If you uh, yeah. need any, I actually any had, advice, I had a trainer man. a trainer back in the uh, well trainer diet slash dietitianist whatever mm-hmm. back in May. We've been working together real close. How's that been going? It's been going good. He he, he his name's shout out his name's um Nick Silva. Shout out to him. He's a good friend, but. Yeah, he's been helping me a lot, so I'm trying to stick to it. When I stick to it, I, I, I do good, you know, I stay, and I stick to it for the most part. That's that's yeah. amazing, man. Yeah, I know, and, I know I, we, I kind of cheated today. I, I cheat like once a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but for the most part, I, I, I've been sticking to it. Yeah. Dude, stick, you know what? Um, I always talk to people about long-term goals, yeah. and, you know, for the most part, I, I see a lot of people making their goals happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not in the fashion they wanted to. Sometimes it takes longer. But the biggest discipline that I've I've had to teach myself and overcome is that long-term struggle. Yeah. It is really hard yeah. to do long-term struggle, man. And just to t- stay focused in it day in and day out for however many years it takes. Yeah. Dude, it is so hard. And that, that's where people get disinterested, you know, if that... Um, I think that's a word but that's where people start to lose interest is over that long term yeah. you know at the beginning of the year i don't believe in new year's resolutions i believe if you want to change your life you sh- it shouldn't depend on the time of year you should yep. just pick that you know i'm tired of my tired of myself I'm, I'm gonna fix this but uh you know the time whatever whatever time you decide to make that goal you know usually people do around like new year's you know i'm gonna stick to this diet i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that yeah. by the time like two months rolls around you're, you forgot about it you know you gave up on it and I don't, I don't knock anybody who's, who's that way, but uh, I will say that there, there is a whole process to teaching yourself how to overcome those long term goals. And yeah. it, it, every day is is a struggle. Like we went today, and I took you to an awesome restaurant. Yeah, how are you gonna not, you know? Right. But the well, I, I planned it. I knew today was gonna be my cheat day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah long yeah. people, people that can accomplish long term goals. Yeah, I have ton of respect for them because you know how many people decided they were going to go to college and didn't finish that's a long-term thing how many people probably decided they wanted to be an actor and gave up on it in the long term a lot of these things don't happen overnight you're 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 talking about um, losing weight from 2012 yeah dude 2000 you're still on that path yeah dude that's a lot every day i've had some setbacks like i'll lose i'll lose 20 and then i'll stay there for a long time Mm -hmm. i'll lose 30 i was down like 50 pounds and I stayed there for but now I'm just trying to go at it and be yeah. where I want to be yeah you, you gotta be obsessed with it and I always yeah. talk about being obsessed and it, it's on YouTube it's everywhere like um, when I was growing up I think it was my mom or people somebody told me obsession you can't be obsessed with things that's not good yeah. like I was taught at the early age not you know don't be obsessed over things don't mm-hmm. obsess but as I got older I realized like you know what like my obsession is what drives me to get things done yeah like a lot of the things that I, I accomplished like a few a few big things in the military um, but it was just obsession man I was obsessed with being a soldier you know I, I think it's passion you know it's obsession but you know but I think it's your passion you know 
I get obsessed. All, all <laughs> I feel like well, I'm obsessed. Yes, it's good, but you know, yeah. that's your passion too, though. Right? Yeah, I guess they yeah. go they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but you know, like when I wanted to uh, learn a guitar, I taught myself. Yeah. I was obsessed uh, every day until my, I couldn't feel my fingers no more. They were bleeding. Then calluses built up. You mm-hmm. could not pull me away from that guitar. When I would wake up, I'd grab it. And it, it would affect my family time. I couldn't help it. I was sick. I got sick in the head learning this thing. I learned it. <laughs> I put it down for a while. Now I can play it whenever I want. Yeah. But whenever I put my mind on something, I just get obsessed, man. I have two modes, man. I just, I'm not interested or I'm just obsessed. Like uh-huh. it's a light switch, man. I'm nothing in between. You know, the podcasting, I already got obsessed with it. <laughs> you know, like you were like, let's do it. Here I am. Yeah. I, I had to, you know, once I decide I want to do it, um, weightlifting, I brought up this story in that speech I gave in the Redosa High School. Uh, um, when I was 14, my uncle Gabe was like, oh, you, you want to be strong? You want to call yourself strong? He said, like, you got to bench 365 pounds, boy. Uh, He's like, that's what I did. He's yeah. like, what can you do? He's like, you want? And I was like, oh, man. So every day, like I developed my entire workout routine around the words that came out of his mouth. I was obsessed to beat that. And I developed, you know, you got to be careful at the time because if your your obsession isn't funneled in the right direction it could be disastrous yeah and that's kind of how it was for me in the beginning and i left this part out of that speech but um my whole training routine was jacked up because all i wanted to do was get that bench and i was gonna die trying to get that until i got 365 pounds yeah i was i was i had to do it finally had the perfect opportunity like i'd get up there I get up to like 315 or 295 and peak out like i just couldn't do it Mm -hmm. Finally had the opportunity when I was in Afghanistan in 2014. I was there for nine months. Yeah. Any chance I got, I was in the gym, just crushing it out, just doing what I could do to get stronger in every way. And to eventually to the point where I got like, maybe if my entire body is just so damn strong, maybe my chest has to get stronger. So I was just pounding all the other muscles in my body and just, dude, I was so obsessed with it when I was there. I was like, I can't leave Afghanistan not doing it. And I got 375. I was so Whoa. I was so obsessed. I took I had someone record it, and I had someone send it directly to his, his girlfriend <laughs> at the time. Is now his wife. Yeah. I was like, send this send this to his woman. Uh-huh. Send this to Ruta. She he has to see this right now. Like <laughs> this was like over ten years of uh-huh. thinking about this number, uh-huh. and it happened. It happened, and I wanted him to see it. He had to see it. That's awesome. I was obsessed with it, and yeah. you know now that's all he talks about. Like. You know, he probably doesn't know like what he did to me growing up, uh-huh. like. But that's just how I've always been. Like he, he tells me something, I gotta go do it. I gotta beat it. I gotta be better. And um, the obsession, man. If if you if anyone out there like is is thinking about how am I gonna get across these goals? How am I? You know, you're thinking maybe I need to lose another hundred pounds. Like that's mm-hmm. you gotta be obsessed with it. I I'm a big yeah. big believer in it. Yeah. Maybe you're saying another way to uh, to talk about it as passion. Yeah. I like the other word obsession. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds uh, tougher I don't yeah, know that's true. that's true maybe it's just me being a guy but maybe you know you phrase it differently passion but mm-hmm. you, goals man yeah, I can no, talk so about those would be my two main goals uh, making money and losing weight <laughs> I admire it yeah uh, well what you know what, what inspires you to to keep doing what you're doing because you know like I was saying earlier I admire you for stepping out on stages I admire you for putting music out there and you know like I said we live in a reservation or we live in this community where we're critiqued all the time people yeah. love to talk crap you know a lot of haters but you know how do you stay inspired to keep going with your goals I would say God my relationship with God is um, real strong um, and uh, 
I spend a lot of time by myself too, and I feel like over the years I've been I'm so close to God, uh, and it's not you know I said earlier I was a Christian rapper. It's it's more than just being a Christian. It's it's like it's being spiritual. It's not about religion. It's just being having that. I don't know. A lot of people they call it your your higher self. People call it the Creator. People call it God. It, it's the faith that you have in in uh, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, it's love and. That's what keeps me going all the time is that relationship I have with them, with uh, love, I guess, God, you know, that's, yeah, that's that, what keeps me going. And that's another thing that I, I admire from you. Um, when I left, I kind of, I was, I was never really had, you know, the relationship that you talk about. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I can't just sit there and tell you the same exact thing, although I'd like to. You know, I'm not I'm not atheist or anything. I'm I'm Christian myself. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't. I grew up turned. I, I turned away from it a little bit, and then I went to the military, and then you know that church environment is kind of different. You just yeah. I kind of didn't really go. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have gone to church, and I did go to church a lot while I was out there, but I never felt comfortable. Well, one reason I say that the the I don't like those terms like Christian and, and this and that because your your church you don't have to go to, you don't have to go to church to have a relationship with God. Your God can be is in inside all of us. That's what I believe. You know, I I believe we come from a place of love somewhere in the galaxy universe, and then we choose to come to this earth. You know, we we already know we already know everything, and then we choose to be born here in this earth, and we make ourselves forget to experience this life. And then we we start as we get older we start remembering that place where we where we came from and people call it God people call it different labels whatever they want to call it but it's all the same thing you know you go back to love that's that's what I really believe right uh, I I agree with you into and I hate to go I hate to just dwell on this because I feel like we're gonna dive into like another two hours <laughs> but. I, that's going to be one of my goals. Uh, if I have to state a goal here, I would say as I need to build a better relationship with God, I yeah. need to start, you know, looking for that relationship, going to church and doing these things. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, now that I have my kids to raise, um, I focus on them so much. Yeah. You know, I send them, I, I take them with their mom, you know, we, we, we take them to church and stuff and they're all baptized. They're all, but I feel bad about myself sometimes. I'm like, man, how am I, how am I directing all these these little kids I keep having, you know, mm-hmm. how, how do I keep directing them to God whenever I'm not even a great example myself? Yeah. And so that's one of my biggest goals is I need to, I need to become more, more spiritual. I need to become more in tune. Yeah. And I think that's going to help me get through a lot of things, but that's it's awesome. just, it's just, it's just not there yet, you know? And whenever, whenever I feel it, I know it's going to be right. I know it's going to happen, yeah. but I'm not trying to force it, uh-huh. you know, cause I don't want it to be. Something that you I feel like fam- I have to do. Yeah, you want to be. You want it to be genuine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's good. And but I've been more cognizant of it, and I think that's the start. It's just I had to recognize it first because I went all these years without even thinking about going to church, without thinking about uh-huh. reading the Bible, without thinking about praying. Yeah. But I make my kids do it. Uh-huh. I was like, man, why do I make my kids pray before every meal? We all bow our heads, and, and I mean, hey, did you say your prayers? Yeah. They go to bed. Did you say your prayers? I make them do this. I make them go to church. I make them get baptized, but I'm not leading by example, yeah. and, it, and it eats me up. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to make my kids do it, I feel like I got to do it, and I got to be 100% in it, you know? Yeah. So I got to – that's going to be one of my goals. If I have to state a goal, that's one of my goals. I stated goals, by the way. I stated goals in the beginning. I said I wanted to get on stage. 
and eventually be good enough to perform with my guitar. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably I'm not obsessed with that uh-huh. goal, but <laughs> I just think it's interesting. What, what church did you go to? Or what church? Uh, I went to Assembly of God with my late... In Mescalero? Yep. Yeah. With my late grandfather, John Shendo. Uh-huh. And then he moved over to the Reformed Church. Uh-huh. And so I went to Reformed Church growing up. And my wife's Catholic. And so yeah. since since I had to, you know, I had to go to war and all this stuff, I left all the religion in her in her lap. Uh, a huge responsibility. <laughs> Bless her heart. She did a yeah. great job with it. Yeah. She's an amazing person. Um, she knows exactly what to do with all that stuff. She got our kids baptized. She And I'm glad I put it in her hands because yeah. I wouldn't have done as good of a job as she did. Uh-huh. Um, she sent my kid to... Um, what was that Catechism? Guy? Yeah, I catechism, all that too. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did a great job. Yeah, so I, I was raised Catholic too, uh, but a big a big moment in my life was when I was fifteen years old and I went to a Pastor Leonard's church in Mescalero. Mm-hmm. And um that's where I feel when I first got introduced to uh the Bible and he taught me so many things and it was it was uh, it just opened up my eyes and to spirit, being spiritual and it was just amazing. So I always think Pastor Leonard and the Carrizo Christian Fellowship for that. But um, I feel like over the over the years you just grow with your walk with God. You know, you just keep yeah. you just keep growing and growing and growing. You know, um I'm I'm definitely a believer and I have a few a few occasions in my life where I feel like as time went on, like you're saying, as as time goes on you get a little bit closer. Uh-huh. And there was times when I felt like there's times I felt like I shouldn't have made it out of Afghanistan, you know, a couple yeah. of close calls. And then I get home and I told my grandpa, I was like, dang, you know, he's like, how was it out there? And I'm like, it was, it was kind of crazy. He's like, did you ever feel afraid? I said, one time I felt afraid and he knew it. He was like, I felt it. And I was like, what do you mean you felt it? And I'm not, I'm real skeptical on things. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I have to be like, science yeah. this, science that. Like, yeah. how can you prove it? Yep. You know, but he was all spiritual. Uh-huh. And I was forced to believe it's my, it's my grandfather, you know, I'm not going to tell him he's a liar yeah. and stuff, but he's, I felt, I felt it, you know, I had, I had a dream about you that you were, um, you were, you were getting into some trouble. He said, but I didn't worry about you because I prayed to God and I knew you were going to come home. Uh-huh. And I was like, man, that's, you know, what if, what if that's the reason I came home? You know, like he was, he prayed for me and that's the power of prayer, yeah. you know, and I, and I don't want to leave it to chance and I don't want to let my grandfather die in vain because he was an excellent um, preacher. Like when he'd get up, like sometimes I'd have him preach and he'd get up and just to see how he inspired people. Yeah. To see the looks on their faces was incredible. To see the church light up, he'd make people cry easy. And I, yeah. I was one of those people, you know, he's just, just the way he talked, his voice, his stories. He was yeah. so good at getting you emotionally. And I was like, you know, all this stuff that he's put into that, I, I just can't, I can't let that, let that fade away. But then you uh-huh. get his son who partially raised me, Gabe, uh-huh. this dude's crazy, never <laughs> went to church. And I asked him about it. I was like, how do you, how do you feel about, you know, the afterlife? You know, you're, you're getting older. You just had a uh-huh. close call last year. He goes, you know what? Me and God are good. And yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. And, you know, that just assured me that even my uncle Gabe, he felt like his, he felt like his um, relationship with God was good. I said, why do you think it's so good? And he told me, he said, you know, I had a talk with him one day. Yeah. We're good. And that's all he told me. That's all I needed to hear. And that's all you need, really. I didn't I, dwell I, on it, you yeah. know. And they don't, like even the Bible says, come as you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I hope that people don't think they're not good, ever good enough for God because God is in all inside of all of us. You know, I think a lot of times when we're a kid, we look up to a man in the sky 
But as I got older, I feel like the God isn't just some man in the sky that's going to judge us, but God isn't somebody who's inside of us already. We don't have to go looking for him. He's, he's been there the whole time. That's what I really believe, you know? Right. I'm glad we got to talk like a little bit about everything. Um, you know, it's it's hard whenever you you just you're opening up the, this type of platform. You're talking, people are listening. Yeah. But you, like right off the bat, one one of the things I wanted to do is show vulnerability. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't want to be that type of person that's always trying to be cool. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to put on like a show here or tell people I'm tough and I'm a cool, hardened veteran. I'd never put that up in front of people. Yeah. But I, I want to expose, you know, the little bit of vulnerable areas, uh-huh. you know, that's just how I feel a podcast should be because yeah. it's, you're getting, you're getting kind of intimate, you're, you're listening and you're only hearing thoughts and those thoughts have to be real, you know, and I think that's going to be a huge success for getting listeners, you know, as long as we stay, stay down, just some thoughts, just some food for thought, you know, uh-huh. but I think, um, so far, we've had a pretty good run. I think a lot of the listeners are going to have a good idea of, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, I, I stated it before, you know, I wanted to create a healthy platform for people to share their positivity. Uh, I want to give a chance for unique stories to be heard. Mm-hmm. I want to inspire our community and help the stories of today continue to be heard in the future. You know, preserve some of those stories that we have out there in the reservation. And there's some good knowledge. There's some good people out there that need, need to be heard, you know? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I don't know if you have any other uh, talking points that you want you want to hit up, but, you know, I'm, I've got time unless you feel like we're at a... Uh, I'm just thankful. And uh, if anybody wants to be on this co- uh, podcast, you know, hit me up. I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of. Um, I work at the end and... Uh, I have on all social media, so you can get at me there. I don't know if I should give away my phone number, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe yeah, people know how to get a hold of me. I'm not, it's 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 easy. Um, but yeah, this, I'm just excited and I'm glad I'm glad to do this, and I'm, I'm, I think it's uh, destined and uh, it's divine. So this uh, listeners, keep in mind, this podcast is something that we just came up with. Um, we decided to do it at a lunch at the EDR <laughs> at the at the end. Yeah, um, it's still new. We're still going to be developing uh, ways to get a hold of us. Um, we're going to, we still got a lot of things that we got to figure out. But right now, uh, we wanted to just put something out there, let people know what's going on. And we're just going to go from there. We're not going to force anything to happen. We're not going to force anything to mold. We're not going to try to create an image. We're just going to let this thing blossom. If it's a success, that's great. If it's not a success, then we'll just try something else. <laughs> yeah, we'll just keep going. Yeah. All right, but sure. um, I I feel like we're at a concluder. We, yeah. we finished up here. It's been a great conversation. What uh, are we at? Almost two or one and a half hours. I'm not bad for the first yeah. first go. Yeah. But anyway, um, thank you all for listening. Please stay. How, how do we say this? I say stay tuned. Um, we have some guests coming on for the next podcast. So, and if you need any more information, you'd like to give us. Any advice, send it to DJ Frizzo yeah, over here. Yeah, hit me up. Frizzo <laughs> Metal Metal on Facebook. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. Give a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard. And if anything, inspire our community. See you.